everyone. Welcome back to Around the Table, the podcast of Redemption Women from Tempe, Arizona. I'm Dina Rogers, and I'm joined today again at our table with my friend Caitlin Anderson. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to be at the table again with you. I love it. Um, If you guys have been following along with us, we are at week six in our journal, so you should be somewhere around there. We are looking at Hebrews 9 and 10, and the topic this week is the Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant. So this was one of my favorite weeks. I think we got to put a lot of connections together, right. and I was excited to get to this week. Right, yeah. Dina, this is definitely your specialty, and I love it because you know so much about uh, the tabernacle and the temple. and. You teach me so much and how that connects to Jesus. So I'm going to kind of turn the tables today, and I'm going to interview you, and we'll kind of talk about it because there is so much in here that I think you can speak really wisely on. Um, But the first question that I'm wondering, Dina, is, is the tabernacle the temple? Are they the same thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So the tabernacle is the diagram in our book is a a diagram of the tabernacle but and what page is that on um it's on page 90 page 90 of our journal so 90 and 91 we're going to talk about a little bit in the podcast today but the tabernacle was built over the instructions according to the instructions that god gave moses on mount sinai Mm -hmm. so when israel first got out of egypt and they were going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years there was this tangible representation of the presence of God among them. Mm -hmm. And it was where the sacrifices and the offerings were made. It was where Moses was able to go into the presence of God. And it was also where that cloud and the pillar of fire um, hovered over so that the people knew that they were in God's presence. Mm -hmm. The tabernacle was made out of tents, um, of curtains, and poles. Sometimes it's called the tent of meeting in some of our Bible versions. Um, and it was a movable place that spoke to the presence of God, that gave us a picture okay. of the presence of God. Mm-hmm. That remains the place where people met God throughout the 40 years in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Um, Then it landed in a place called Shiloh, where Samuel was um, during the time of the judges. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until Israel got into the promised land and they had kings and um, they were actually in the promised land during the time of the judges. So that might sound confusing how I said that. But it wasn't until the time of the kings. Saul was a king, then David. And David God told David, I want the place of my name to dwell in Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. David's son Solomon built the temple Mm -hmm. over the pattern of the tabernacle. So it still had the same outer court, the same altars and the same, the lampstand and the Ark of the Covenant and the veil. All of those things were the same, Mm -hmm. except they were permanent. It was a permanent structure. Mm -hmm. And so that was Solomon's temple Uh until Israel was um, taken into captivity. That was burned down. 70 years later, they came back, rebuilt another one. The one that was built afterward was smaller than Solomon's temple, but mm-hmm. that's the one that was up during the time of Jesus and during the time of the book of Hebrews. Okay. So kind of a long answer, right. but... And did um, both temples have the same layout as we're looking at yep. on page 90? Yeah. So they both had that yeah. same layout. And another really interesting thing is when the last temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., 
the only thing that's remaining of that is a support wall. Mm -hmm. But that support wall is also known as the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall in Israel today. Mm. And it's where Jews go because it so connects them to where they believe the presence of God is. So that's Mm. why when you see pictures of it and they offer prayers, they believe that they are coming into God's presence because it's the closest thing they have to the temple which represented God's presence for them. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, super cool. Something that I think is interesting, as you were saying, David wanted to build the temple, right? But Mm -hmm. God said, no, Solomon's going to. And there's actually a cross-reference in Hebrews, in Hebrews 1.5, I want to say, that points back to 2 Samuel 7.14, when God is having this conversation with David, and God says, I am going to adopt Solomon, and I will be his father, and he will be my son. And that's actually a foreshadowing of Jesus coming. And it starts with that establishment of the temple. And here in Hebrews, they're saying that God was foreshadowing that with Jesus. That's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the way all the pieces interconnect. Oh, it's I love that. so fun. Yeah. Yeah, And so as we're looking at this temple, there, mm-hmm. um, there's a bunch of pieces. And right. in Hebrews, so many of those he- uh, pieces we see now on the other side of the cross, how those pieces now represent Jesus yes. as we look through the book and the gospels and everything. So I'd love to talk about just a few of those. We're not going to go through all of them, but there is a chart on page 91 um, if you wanted to go through all of them. Um, but the first one, Dina, I'd love for you just to tell us about is the bronze altar. Mm, yeah. So in the outer court, so right inside the door of the temple or the tabernacle, mm-hmm. was the bronze altar. And that altar, God said, should never go out. It was a continual offering for sins and for guilt and the sacrifices of the people. Mm -hmm. There had to be continual offerings for the sacrifice for sacrifice because they were they were only as long as the life of that animal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in the verses that we read in first John 1 7 and then in first Peter, um, it talks about how Jesus became our forever sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Like the bloods of bulls and goats could never clear our consciences. They could never completely atone for our sins. But Jesus became this permanent, enduring sacrifice that was worth more than silver and gold, it says in First Peter, mm-hmm. this priceless sacrifice because it was eternal. Mm-hmm. And so the continual burning of the offering was no longer necessary because Jesus became our eternal sacrifice, not only for the sin that would be committed after the cross, but even for the sin from before the cross, Mm. because it was an eternal sacrifice. And eternal goes back as far as time goes back and Mm -hmm. as forward as far as it goes forward. Hmm. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I love that. Um, So the table for the bread of the presence. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we don't hear that much about it. I feel like... um, there were 12 loaves of bread that had to be made fresh mm. every single week. And they were brought into the temple or the tabernacle mm. on the Sabbath day. And they were stacked in two loaves of six, two, two stacks of six loaves. Mm-hmm. And they were to be eaten by the priests during the week. And then every week there was this fresh batch of loaves that were baked. 
And I love to think about how great that must have smelled. Yeah. Like fresh oh, bread. The smell of fresh baked bread yeah. might be my favorite smell. I know. <laughs> I had a friend once who called me before she went to work in the morning and she said, isn't it cool that we serve a God who loves the smell of fresh baked bread? Oh, and I just that. thought, oh, I'll probably always remember that, which yeah. I do. But I think that it was nourishing to the um to the priests, mm-hmm. so there's something nourishing about God's presence. But also I think the 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes, mm-hmm. and God's presence was available not only within the tabernacle, but to all of the community. Mm-hmm. You know, And I love that there was this continual reminder of how God's n- nourishing presence is available to, the, to his whole community of people. Right. There's this really cool... Um, thing in I think it's in Exodus and it's talking or maybe Leviticus it's talking about when the Levites have to pack everything up and move the tabernacle Mm -hmm. because everybody had a job to do Um, the bread of presence is the only thing that's first wrapped in a scarlet or a red cloth and Hmm. then wrapped in blue everything else is just wrapped in blue and I've often thought about I wonder if it was sort of a foreshadowing of the fact that it would be the blood of Jesus that made his presence completely available to all of us um, mm. through the power, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love that. That's one of the things that has uh, stuck most with me as we've studied this week through Hebrews 9 through 10 is that we get to come in full confidence mm-hmm. before the presence of God. I know. And we have his presence. And to even think back in the Old Testament— and when you think about the high priests going into the holiest places, they were afraid. And so at first I'm thinking, oh, what would it be like? You know, they had so much fear going in. But then what if you went to a woman who was on the outskirts and said, you go into the holiest place? And the fear that came with that, if the high priest was afraid to go into the holiest place, how much more that woman, but yet us as women get to come in the holiest of holy places in the presence of God because of the cross. Yeah, that's amazing. I loved when you were talking about that tonight in our ID group, just that as women we are invited because of the blood of Jesus and because of our royal priesthood. Mm -hmm. Jesus is our high priest. He mediates this new covenant. He goes before us into the throne of God, mm. but we get to follow yeah. oh. as redeemed women because of the blood of Jesus. Yeah. With confidence. Yeah. With confidence. Completely. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Yeah, that was really cool. So we talked a little bit tonight too in our ID group about the Ark of the Covenant, and there were three, there's three different aspects to it, um, and I'd love for you to kind of speak into those three different aspects and what is the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, so the Ark of the Covenant was actually like a rectangular box. Uh-huh. Um, there were there were two cherubim um, angels built into the so- into the sides, and then in the middle, the top of it was a mercy seat, mm-hmm. and that top was where God met with Moses. The whole Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies, so way into the very innermost part of the tabernacle where only the high priest could go, Mm -hmm. or I think where Moses went to meet with God. Um, But inside that Ark, inside that rectangular box, there are three things. A bowl of manna, Mm -hmm. which represented for Israel that God was their sustainer. 
um, Jesus uh, eventually in the New Testament would say, I'm the true bread of life. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven that gives you eternal life, that nourishes you forever. But the manna was a representation, a physical representation of the life that I would give you. Right. And for someone that might not know the story and is going, manna, what is manna? You know, when God brought Israel out of the out of Egypt in the Exodus mm-hmm. and they cried out, they said, we're hungry. Um, God brought this sweet bread that they said tasted like honey, but was almost better than honey out of the dew of the ground. Um, or it rained down, the manna rained down from heaven, and then he brought meat from the dew of the ground. And he nourished them with this manna that no one had ever experienced before. Yeah, like how crazy that it had all the nutrients in it that they would need for 40 years. Right. Like it had everything in it that they needed to sustain their health. Mm. And, and manna is called, what is it? Because <laughs> they didn't know. It, I mean, the yeah. word for what is it? Is manna, yeah, and that's how it got oh, its name. But it. it was this sustaining nourishment from God for the whole time in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I think that it's interesting to think that at the beginning of that time, you know, people might have think, "Is it? You think it's going to be here tomorrow?" But by forty years, it was just normal to know that every day God supplied daily bread, mm-hmm. which is so cool. That's so cool, yeah. I love the I love the faith that that developed from that right. daily reliance on God. So it reminds me of the Lord's prayer when Jesus says, "Give us today our daily bread." Like, will you give me today what I need for today? Mm. Anyways, I, I love I'm that. digressing. Yeah. So it had so a bowl of manna. Back. Yeah, <laughs> um, a bowl of manna. It had um, the stone tablets mm-hmm. of the law of God that God wrote with His finger on the on these stone tablets when he gave the law to Moses. And so that's inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the prophecy in the Old Testament is there's going to be a day where I'm going to write my law in your heart. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be doable because I'm going to live in you and be the good in you that I want you to be. Mm -hmm. Through the cross and because of the Holy Spirit, he indwells us, and he reminds us of what God's law is. Mm. And so, um, yeah, so that was, the, uh, that was one of the other articles in the Ark of the Covenant. And then the last thing was Aaron's rod that budded. Do you yeah. know that story? You know, you just taught me it tonight. I had never even thought about that. So I'd love for you to share that whole story you said in number 17. That was just so interesting to me. Yeah, so um, I think there must have been some quarreling, and I didn't read the backstory before tonight, but uh-huh. there was quarreling about who was going to get to be the high priest uh-huh. and a lot of grumbling. And God said to Moses, have one person from every tribe bring a rod or like a staff into um, the into the tabernacle and have them write their name on it. So there is one, Aaron's name was on the staff of the tribe of Levi. Mm-hmm. And there were 12 staffs, one for each tribe of Israel. And everyone's name, everyone had, every staff had a name written on it. Mm-hmm. And God said, bring it into the tabernacle. And tomorrow, the one that has buds will be the person that I choose to be my high priest. Mm-hmm. And the next day, it's crazy because these, they were sticks. They weren't connected to a source. Uh-huh. They were staffs. 
But Aaron's, the one with Aaron's name on it, mm-hmm. it said it had leaves and flowers and mm-hmm. almonds. Like it wasn't just little buds. It was, there was food on it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there was, like nobody could have looked at the staffs and thought, well, I'm not sure if it's this one or that one. It was God's obvious choice. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, Aaron's staff that budded is also in the Ark of the Covenant. God's choice for the covenant priesthood. Mm. Um, so, yeah. How do we listen to these stories about manna and Aaron's staff, the budding of his staff, and doubt? Like, ever doubt that God can do big things in our life when these unbelievable things he can do and he is the same God that we worship today, that we're invited in full confidence um, to come before him, the same God that was with them and that rained the manna down from heaven and that brought nourishment from a staff that was connected to no source. Yeah. That's, yeah. It it is incredible. (laughs) Maybe sometimes our doubt comes because those were such cool miracles that it's hard to believe it really happened. Right. But, yeah, when we, it's, I mean, one of the things that helps me believe the Old Testament is that Jesus believed it. Hmm. You know, when Jesus yeah. was on earth, he never said, he never talked about the law or the prophets or any of the Old Testament scriptures as not being true. Mm-hmm. And we know that Jesus, yeah, I, I love that Jesus confirmed the truth of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. He was God and he believed it. And it helps me believe that all those things are really true, mm-hmm. that we can believe God for big things, you know. One of the things I love about the Ark of the Covenant is how it's such a reminder of the holiness of God, which is which something kind of came up in our ID group tonight. But, um, you know, our culture really wants this God that's a friend that I can sit down and have coffee with. And mm-hmm. um, we want this like kind of God we hang out with. And he is. He's that. But he's also the holiest of holies, the creator of all, you know, yeah. the king of everything. And the Ark of the Covenant was so holy that they couldn't touch it or they would die. They would put sticks through it, right, to carry it from mm-hmm. place to place when it was yeah, in the tabernacle. Yeah, there were like rings on the – they had to put rings on the outside and then poles mm-hmm. through the rings. And they were only allowed to hold on to the poles. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's holy – reverent awe yeah and there's a story actually of one guy that was carrying it right that tripped and touched it and he instantly died because it was that was the power of God's presence Mm -hmm. and he wasn't you know he hadn't gone through all the steps that the high priest had to do and everything to come before God's presence yet we because of the cross get to come into full confidence where that ark of the covenant was and without fear. Yeah. You know, we come without fear. Yeah. Which is so cool. So we're about two-thirds through our study, Dina. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd love to know, what's your favorite takeaway of our study so far? Mm, I love that question. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about just how much I really, really love the story. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that in my excitement, about the connections and my love of the story that I don't, I just don't want to forget about really, really loving Jesus. And I know they're connected, Mm -hmm. but I just want to be mindful of that. And tonight when we were talking about, um, we were talking about how people came in 
I think it's in the beginning of chapter nine, Mm -hmm. to offer sacrifices as worshipers. And I've often thought about approaching the throne of grace for forgiveness and approaching the grace because Jesus intercedes for me and I can approach him in my time of need to find help. And all of those are so important and I'm so grateful. Mm -hmm. But I also approach him as a worshiper. Mm -hmm. And I've just really been reminded of the importance to stop and worship. So that's been really fun for me. How about you? Well, I love that, Dina. Um, Let me think, for me, my favorite takeaway so far, kind of what we were talking about with the Ark of the Covenant, um, just how holy God is. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, it makes the cross even bigger to me. You know, when you think that I get to come into full confidence in in the presence of this creator, like I was yeah. talking about before. So just remembering that he is the creator of all, the holiest of holies, and my friend, and just kind of the bigness of that, I guess. Um, it just it sort of leaves me in awe that I get to be in his presence and what a privilege that is. Yeah, so, so good. That, but really what I'm so excited about is next week. Hebrews 11 (laughs) is one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible, and we get to talk about all the different faith stories um, from the Old Testament, and so I'm really looking forward to next week. Cool. Do you have a favorite? I do. Uh, The story of Jacob is definitely my favorite just because he was such he had such reluctant faith (laughs) and he was he really tried to run from God and it wasn't until like he full-on wrestled with God um, that he finally was like you know 20 years later oh maybe the God of my father is actually the God that I want to follow and then he has a big change and then he ends up being the father of all these nations. Yeah. God changes his name to Israel and tells us his whole redemptive story. Mm -hmm. It gives me hope. (laughs) Right. (laughs) The the father of the, you know, 12 tribes um, was such a reluctant follower. Yeah. Yeah. There's a struggle. Right. But he ends up right where God wants him. I think I can relate to his struggle. Yeah. (laughs) Totally cool. Well, one more thing we talked about tonight that I want to just touch on really Uh quickly is... All of the sensory ways that oh, we've gotten yeah. to know God, that that God put in place, you know, mm-hmm. like the altar of incense and the smell of bread. And, you know, I think we were talking about how do we know God with our senses. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wanted to share the story really quickly because it's just been really fun for me. Mm-hmm. But um, my, I have and or I had my grandmother has passed away, but this sweet little Arab grandmother who taught me how to make old, kind of old-fashioned hummus and pita bread and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the smell of her kitchen was kind of like the smell of Princess Market. Mm. You know, that sort of Arab spice smell. I have this um, cookbook. It's called Jerusalem. I really like it. I I read the stories and look at the pictures more than I actually cook the food. (laughs) But um, there's this great story in there about that, spice that smell mm-hmm. that you that I could smell in my grandmother's kitchen it's called zatar and it's off it's kind of greenish sometimes you see it sprinkled on hummus or if you go to Jerusalem it's sprinkled on the bread it's cooked into the bread mm-hmm. and when I was reading about it um, the authors of this book said that zatar is actually in the English word the English word for zatar is hyssop and so oh. 
on the hills, right. So on the hills of Jerusalem are these plants called hyssop, and they were just wild all over. And they would use it for salads in the springtime and early summer, and then in the fall they would dry it and use it for leaves. Well, hyssop, dried hyssop, was the branch that the Israelites used to paint the blood over the door when during the Passover. Mm-hmm. And hyssop is often referred to throughout Scripture when it comes to stories of redemption or atonement. Like in Psalm 51, David said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be whiter than snow. And we read about hyssop in, um, in Hebrews tonight, referring to the old sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And I just love that God put reminders of redemption in the fields where kids played mm-hmm. and in the salads that were, were eaten in the summertime at picnics. Mm-hmm. And in the smell of their grandmother's kitchens. <laughs> and um, I found a little jar of Zatara on Amazon that's oh, made out of hyssop. And I just keep it on my counter and I sprinkle it on hummus. But I want to be intentional about reminding myself, about putting reminders in place, not just in my mind, but also in what I smell and taste and touch and hear. Mm. Um that served to remind me about God's redemptive story. Oh, so I love that he did I that. that. I love that, too. He engages all of our senses. And that was one of our ID group questions this week. And it really made me think I'm such a reader and steadier that I just tend to, like, just read, read, read. And if I think about God, then I go and read some more. Um, but I, it made me really think about how I could engage God more and really think, put things kind of like you said, intentionally in my life to remind me of him yeah for sure well this has been so fun i'm gonna be sorry when it ends we have a few weeks left though so i'm excited to make the most of it yeah thanks for having me again yeah excited about hearing what you have to say next week about hebrews when we get together again so thanks everyone for listening we'll be back again um to gather around our podcast table immerse ourselves in the book of hebrews and disciple one another towards jesus Mm -hmm.